Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad here as always. Hope everyone is doing well wherever you are. Um, I have a special guest for you, as I said last uh, time we're on air this week, and none other than George Housen, host of Grid Talk Podcast, one of the many wonderful hosts, as well as writer for F1 Chronicle and Sportlight Pro. How are you, George? How was your weekend? Uh, fresh off the British Grand Prix, how's things? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, all good, Jared. Thanks for having me on the show. This what this one's been a, a while in the making. I've uh, yeah, I <laughs> I went to the British Grand Prix as uh, as media for the first time ever, which is uh, which was a hell of an experience. It's it's one of those things I I've always wanted to do. I've been to a few Grand Prix in the past, but never been to Silverstone. So to go there as as media was uh, I'm not gonna lie it was one of the best weekends of my life it was it was incredible it you know it's a bit of a cliche but it is it was pretty much dream come true stuff seeing uh, people that you've kind of idolized your entire life and seeing them in person it was uh, I don't think it's fo- properly sunk in yet to be honest it was an absolute assault on there. <laughs> On my, you know, on my, on my senses and everything, it was unbelievable. <laughs> did you have, um, like, I remember the first time I did it, I had like an absolute kid in a candy store type feeling, you know, yeah. like you suddenly, like I don't know if you, when you go as a spectator, there's only so close you can get to, you know, drivers, team principals, and and stuff, and then when you're there, you're like kind of standing right in front of them, and you know it's a bit, it's a bit of a starstruck feeling, I guess you would say. Yeah, it's exactly that, mate. Kid in the candy store is a very good analogy for that. You know, I mean, go, going to your first race is incredible because you see the cars for the first time, you get amazing views, you get to soak up the atmosphere, you get to see the track in person. That's all really cool. Um, you did that a couple more times. It's still fun, but yeah, going going as media and going in the paddock and seeing uh, seeing people that you've uh, you've seen on the TV and seeing them in person, it's it's just unbelievable. Like um, I saw I saw Sir Lewis Hamilton. Um, he I was just walking in the paddock and he he absolutely just zoomed past me on his uh, on his scooter. Um, and I was just like thinking, thinking like, who, who the hell, who the hell is that guy? And I turn around, and it's like, oh my god, it's Hamilton. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. Actually, that just reminded me. You didn't happen to see Roscoe, did you? Because I, I would did be not. No, I would be quite jealous if you did. Because um, I'm a big fan of Roscoe. <laughs> so, so Hamilton doesn't do it for you, but the dogs, the dogs, the dogs. It's yeah, it's always the dogs. <laughs> um, no, no, but that that's all good. So, what would you say um, from a media perspective was the highlight of your weekend? Like, did you get any choice um, quotes or? Uh, soak up a bit of goss you know well what was what was probably your highlight you'd say well there was a few of them I mean I got to sit in on the uh, the press conferences after qualifying and after the race for the F1 so seeing those guys sit down and field questions I mean I was trying to ask them a question but um, <coughs> being inexperienced at this I only wrote a few questions down and by the time it get you know it kind of came for me to potentially put my hand up everybody had asked the questions I was going to ask so uh, I didn't get to ask him a question, but going in the press conferences, that was really cool. Um, being in the media center as well and being around all the buzz, like you said, all the gossip and everything and hearing what the other people are experiencing, you know, and, and hearing from other people, you know, it, it was really, it was really opening. And like I said, a lot of the media people and stuff that you were, uh, that you, that you see on, on the TV or online, you know, mm-hmm. they are different to how uh, you expect them to be. Some people are nicer. Some people are not nicer. I won't, I yeah. won't name names. But, um, <laughs> I can for only reasons. I can only guess from my own experiences. But anyway, we won't go there. Um, but as far as the like, I've always wondered where the actual center is at Silverstone. Is it in the pit building um, on the Silverstone wing or? Yeah, it's a it's above the the Hamilton straight. It's above the uh, the actual pits. So when they were lining up to take the the race start, we could see the uh, we could see the the cars all lining up on the straight. So it's literally right above there. Um, so it's at, it's on the right of the straight as you as you look. So you're on yeah. top of there. So you're right in the action over there. Would have made for some great photos, I bet too. Like I um uh, I don't know if you've seen, but uh, Albert Park. It's similar. It's above the um pit lane and everything so you get a great view of the grid and then when cars come out to do their practice starts as well on the pit lane as well you can get some good stills so no that's that's so cool i'm really excited and happy that you got to have that experience and hopefully um it'll be the first of uh, many for you 
I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I met um, I met uh, David uh, Davide. Sorry, I can't say his name. Davide Valsecchi. That's it. Um, I met him, and he honestly, I absolutely love him. He's he's as passionate in person as you were, as you kind of expect from the commentary that he used to do for Formula Two. And he was just like, "No, you have to come to Monza. You have to come to Monza. You must experience the passion of the Italian fans." I'm just like, <laughs> in- "Invite me then. Get me a ticket. I'd yeah. love to come." You know, yeah, so. Not gonna be not gonna be coming there for free. Just uh, send me the send me the ticket, and I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well. It was quite an eventful weekend, as we all know from a from a race perspective as well. Um, good that you were there firsthand to see everything and you know experience everything that the crowd and the media would have felt. But what a what a win for Carlos Sainz, getting his first win in F one, obviously from his first pole position as well. And would you say, George, arguably this was probably the race of the season so far? I don't think it's an argument. I think it's definitely the race of the season so far. It's it was an absolute standout, you know. For everything, there was there was a huge crash at the start. There was some incredible overtakes. There was a surprise winner in a way in Carlos Sainz just because it's been so long and he's had chances and it's never quite worked out for him. And it and this one, you know, it changed so much. You know, you thought, oh. Verstappen's going to win. No, Sainz is going to win. Leclerc's going to win. Hamilton's going to win. No, it'll be Leclerc. No, it's actually Sainz and he's done it, you know. And so I was so happy for him. He's, he's waited so long. He Before this season, he was the most consistent driver in Formula 1 for a number of years. And he has made mistakes this year. He has, um, has let himself down, has let the team down. But he really, really stood up for himself. When Ferrari was trying to team order Leclerc into a victory, he said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm passing him. And he went out there and he passed him. So I'm so happy for him. And you never know, it could spark a championship challenge for him. It could very well. So um, we'll talk more specifics on Ferrari and team orders a bit later on. Uh, it would be a different story, however. Um, we wouldn't be quite saying that this was the GP of the season had the consequences been much worse on the first lap. Mm. So I'm talking about, of course, the horrific incident, the horrific crash involving George Russell, Guan Yu Zhou, Alex Albon was involved separately as well. But I think the moment that stole everyone's breath and um, put everyone in a bit of shock for a while was uh, seeing the Alfa Romeo hurdle across the gravel upside down, then flip Mm. over the tyre barrier and become wedged in between the bottom of the grandstand and, and the barrier. So... You know, we've watched a lot of races between both of us, George, and, you know, when you see an incident like that happen and then there's no TV coverage in that time, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're sitting there chewing on your fingernails, like waiting nervously, refreshing your Twitter feed or any kind of feed you can get on what's going on at the track. And it's such a nervous anxious moment because you were like have we witnessed uh, something horrible here is he going to be okay like you know we went through it with Roman Grosjean only a couple of years ago but um what was the what was the feeling like trackside you know what, what the crowd was silent you know how was everyone up in the media center to like go through it please yeah so I mean ever since um ever since Jules Bianchi passed away in 2014 I think before that, because I, I was, you know, I was into Formula One for a while before that, but that was the first time I'd ever seen a death um, occur in the sport. Ever since then, when there's a serious accident like that and you don't know what's happening, I, I a lot of us just feel the worst. I think, you know, um, you know, we we were just watching the start of the race, and like everybody else, we see the t- we have the TV feed on. That's exactly the same as it is back home. Um, and we just saw cars going through the first corner, and then all of a sudden, there's a car upside down. And we didn't even know who it was at first. We didn't even know. We thought, oh, is it is it Bottas? Is it is it Joe? Is it someone else? But it was Joe. And you know, it's an absolute testament to the safety of these cars and um, and the halo as well. The fact that he survived that because it was so long. I mean, it it felt like about fifteen minutes or so. Maybe it wasn't quite that long, but there was you know when when we saw the cars car going upside down i won't repeat what everybody was saying but you can imagine but it was all just gas and just like whoa like who's that what's happened there um and you know for a while we didn't know we just saw the wreckage of the car and we're just like how the hell did it end up there 
how did it end up in behind the tire barriers? And we eventually got a replay, and and we and we saw what happened. And it, yeah, I mean, I, I said it at the time. Um, George uh, George Russell's um, Mercedes just acted like a ramp, effectively, and it just launched Joe into the air, and he went flying. And mm. yeah, the fact it went over gravel as well because I thought at first I thought, oh, it's you know he's, he's caught in the gravel, you know, and the gravel's not a super solid surface. It kind of forms around the car. So I thought this could be bad. This could yeah. be really, really bad. Um, and thank God they, you know, he got out of there, and I think he's relatively all right. He's going to be very, um, he's going to be very traumatized after that. It's going to be nervous for him going back in the car in Austria, but I hope he makes it back in in, in Austria to, you know, pass his fit and everything like that. So for a long time we were thinking, you know, we don't know what's happening here, and it, and that's the scariest thing. We didn't hear anything for a while, and then when the radio came on from uh, Bottas's engineer saying, "Oh yeah, Joe's okay," you know, you could hear the cheers from the crowd. You couldn't hear the the crowd too much through the weekend through the because it's all like. Um, all like soundproof and stuff. The uh, the media centers. So you only really hear the cars, but you heard the crowd then, and yeah. So I just thank God that he's all right. It's just one of those freak occurrences, you know. And you know, thank God for the halo. It it really did its job twice that weekend. Absolutely, and you touched on it just then that the halo did its job twice over the weekend, and it, it was an incident involving. Roy Nassani earlier in that F2 race as well, where the halo came into act. And, you know, I've said this all week to, you know, people who, you know, don't watch um, racing that I see on the outside and they, um, they're like, Oh, you know, we saw the crash on the news and everything. And um, you must be like happy about that halo thing or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. And considering five, six years ago when um, it was being introduced to how many people were so anti-Halo, it's like if it wasn't on the car, then uh, the boy wouldn't have his head. Uh, Simple as that, you know, and it's so incredible that every time, you know, an incident like this happens, the FIA doesn't just sit around and sit complacently there. They're going to make some kind of change, I'm sure, as well. They're they're never satisfied with um, the safety standards. And I think that's really important that, you know, even though we didn't didn't have any fatalities in this incident, that that they're still going to look at uh, making changes, whether it's to the tyre barriers or, you know, try and have the drivers more protected like that they're they're so vigilant with this sort of thing and that's really good to see um with the incident itself so it all kind of got triggered when pierre gasly was trying to go for a gap between uh, russell and joe and the gap kind of closed gasly tags the mercedes which then concertinaed onto the alfa romeo and then behind them there was also some chaos and this all came because i think a lot of them got really bad starts uh sebastian vettel went into the back of alex albon which then sent albon into the pit wall the pit lane wall which is a concrete wall mind you and then he pirouetted uh, a few times and whatnot and the fact that joe just went to the medical center and then was cleared uh it's kind of forgotten that albon actually got taken to the local hospital as well um that was insane Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big impact at the end of the day. Um, I mean, thank God I've never crashed into a com- concrete barrier, but I can imagine it's a pretty violent incident. So I think the general rule of thumb is if some if it's something like a 25 or a 30G impact, they automatically have to go to the hospital because it's just, it's such a big shock. You know, they could have some serious damage for that. And thank, you know, again, thank God that Albon's all right, you know, because again, that was, a, that was a very nasty one. That was a very sudden stop. Obviously, it wasn't as spectacular as Joe's, so it, it didn't get the airtime. And we knew mm. pretty early on that Albon was not seriously injured, the fact he got out of the car, so there wasn't really any kind of doubt about that. But yeah, um, just just a just a crazy um, just a crazy first lap incident. I mean, I I don't I, I don't know because I've not. There's so many different moving parts to it, but it you know it, it seems like maybe Albon could have perhaps broke early because of the the stuff that was happening ahead mm. of him with. Because in that kind of incident, I get it all the time because there's some absolute idiots who are driving the UK on motorways. If you're seeing a potential accident up ahead, your instinct is slow down, get out of the way, even and if the, that means potentially hitting a wall. And the guy behind you, the person behind you, sorry, probably wouldn't have seen that and, you know, or sees it, but it's too late and then gets on the brakes and uh, uh, rear ends you almost. So 
Mm. At the end of the day, just, you know, happy both drivers were fine. I'm hearing that, you know, they're both cleared to race this weekend in Austria. So that'll be a... um, Mm. Uh, like a miracle after after what happened there on the first lap in Silverstone. So we had the red flag brought out um, for the tie barriers and also for, for Joe, Joe as well. Uh, and in the meantime, like as if all that wasn't manic enough, there was a, fo- uh, a foiled protest as well that got uh, yeah. stopped by the authorities. And like um, I'm sure there would have been quite a bit of reaction to this uh, over there as well. Um, a lot of people have come out and said, you know, they're they're in this group, they're entitled to their voice. You know, it's it's a very pertinent issue, but not to risk it, you know, on a live racetrack, especially with cars that do, you know, in excess of 350 kilometers an hour. Um, you know, we don't need unnecessary deaths like that. So, and yeah, it's it's strange given that Formula One is going in that direction of environmental protection and promoting sustainable fuels and being net carbon zero. Like it didn't make sense to me a whole lot. No, it didn't make sense to me either. Again, we didn't, we didn't know about this straight away because of everything that was happening with the crash, but a few people pointed it out on Twitter. I think a few people got the tweet from uh, Arava um, and that's how a lot of it kind of spread from there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's just absolutely disgusting. I mean, I'm not sure what um, I'm not sure if you have a. I hope you don't, but I'm not sure if you have a an Australian stop oil organization over there. But here in the UK, they've been they've been going in football matches, in Premier League matches, they've been uh, going running out of the crowd and going onto goalposts and zip tying themselves to the the goalposts to get the game stopped mm. to get their message across. And yeah, that's stupid. That's that's kind of dangerous a little bit, but at least I don't, nobody's, nobody's lives are in danger there. You know, as mm. annoying as that is, nobody's lives are in danger. I don't agree with it. I don't think that's the way to do it, but I'm, I'm not saying that by any means, but going on to a, going on a Formula One racetrack on the Wellington Strait, they're doing 200 miles an hour there. If they hit you, you're dead. And the driver's probably dead too. And there yeah. could be fans that die in the crowd because the debris flying everywhere. That's it. You know, so it's it's, just... it's the most ludicrous thing I have ever seen. And thank God we got that first lap crash in a way, because if we didn't, we could be talking about several spectator and driver deaths here. That's it. And, you know, that's clearly not um, on anyone's agenda, you got to say. And no, I don't think we have any of that um, interrupting events here, unfortunately. Like the worst that happens is a naked person runs across the football pitch. So... Nah, it's warmer over there, so you guys can get away with it. You yeah. can't do that in the UK. <laughs> oh, not not in the not in the winter, sadly. But yeah, during the summer when there's you know cricket on or whatever, there's always uh, some kind of streaking going on. So anyway, <laughs> we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. Um, so finally, after like forty five minutes, fifty minutes, we have a standing restart. Um, now this confused a whole lot of people. Not me really, because I was like, it makes sense when you think about it. So. They restarted the race in the order that the grid was formed after qualifying with Carlos Sainz on pole. So the first lap that never happened, we saw Max get ahead of Carlos. Uh, Hamilton also got a good start and he was up to third. But because they didn't get to the either the first or second safety car line or they didn't, or the race was red flagged before they actually got to the first um, timing intermediate at the end of sector one. Um, the results get reverted back to um, the grid order. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's fair enough. I mean, that, those are the rules at the end of the day. I think the general rule with red flags as well is that you normally, normally count back a couple laps anyway. So, yep. you know, if you're going back from lap one, you're going to the start of the race. So, yeah, I, I, there wasn't much confusion in the press centre as well. A few people were questioning it, thinking, oh, well, why is that? Why has it got back to signs on pole? But... Them, them's the rules, you know. Sainz got a second chance effectively, and he took it a lot better that time. He took it very well, I think. Um, he was a lot more aggressive defending from P1. Uh, we saw the other Red Bull and Ferrari, Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez, coming a bit too close together. There was a bit of contact between those two, and both of them ended up with uh, damage to their front wings. It was actually that bad for Checo that he was forced in to get a new front wing. And uh, Leclerc was well-documented that he lost five points of downforce 
um, with that, you know, end plate missing from his front wing, but he managed to carry on for the rest of the race. Then we had drama for Verstappen as well on lap 13. He suffered a puncture and sustained some rear bodywork damage as well. And we could hear him throughout the race uh, complaining about the lack of performance and everything. And he really just couldn't get that car to do anything with, with that damage. But I'm still glad they didn't, you know, because... Um, his engineer was more insistent that he carry on, but Max seemed like he was ready to throw in the towel and call it a day. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he's a bit like Hamilton in that regard. He wants the absolute best for his car, and if if it's not working out, you know, you might I can see why you might want to kind of throw in the towel. But at the end of the day, he did it. He did a good job to finish seventh. I think some of his defending against um, against Mick Schumacher was very borderline at times, but. He made it work, and that car, you know, if you've got a rear end that's not planted around Silverstone, you are really struggling. All them high-speed corners, the thing is just going to want to snap, and it's going to want to spin around. So the fact that he kept it on the track and didn't really make any mistakes was, you know, that's a testament to how good his car is and how good he is as well. It's kind of a worrying sign for Ferrari, potentially, because even on a very bad day for Max, he still gets some decent points. He did, and um, when you look at the the net uh, loss or net gain for Leclerc in the championship or Ferrari in this instance, it's only three points that they lost to um, or they gained on Max overall yeah. this weekend. So it's it's not much when you think about it. Um, moving on, we had the pit window open and Sainz was the first of the leaders to come in. Um, and this was in the middle of, so we had Leclerc right up behind his teammate uh, and kind of the start of when Leclerc was like, I'm faster, let me through. And this is with the damaged front wing, mind you. So Leclerc in the faster car and had the pace all weekend, but Sainz is the track position. He wasn't willing to get out of the way, but then you had uh, Hamilton coming from behind as well, looming as a threat. Like who would have, who would have thought that Hamilton would be on for what would have been a ninth win around Silverstone this weekend, but it certainly... Um, he pleased the narrative, you got to say, with that by being in contention. Were Ferrari, um, so were Ferrari explicit enough with their with their team orders? Because it just seemed like they were saying to to science, they're like, oh, you need to meet this delta with your lap times. You need to do this. You need, but never did they say, oh, you need to like let you t- just let your teammate through. I mean. We criticize Ferrari about a lot, you know, justifiably so, but they just, they used to be so good at doing team orders as bad as it was back in the day, but they're pretty horrible now, you got to say. Yeah, they're not, they're not the same team that they were like 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, people move on and all that. I get that. But yeah, you are right. It's, it, I mean, it was quite wishy-washy from them, just like, oh, yeah, you know, do this lap time. If you don't do it, let him pass. And they did do that. You know, they did say, you know, you didn't do the lap, Carlos, let him through. So they let him through, and that was fine. Um, the, the big problem I had with, with Ferrari's team orders, the way, well, there was two of them, actually, the directly the team order when um, when they were going under the safety car restart, and they said, oh, yeah, Carlos, back him up. Back him up, mate. Just... 10 car lengths, right? We need to protect Charles. And he's just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. What the hell are you talking about? I'm going go, to go for a win. I've got the faster tyres. I've got the undamaged car. And he was absolutely right to do that. And I think, but I didn't see this at the time uh, because I think we were all going kind of nuts in the press centre at certain points, but um, uh, Bonotto wagging his finger, which I think is just a bit disgraceful, really. I mean, yes, we know Charles Leclerc is the boy wonder. We know he is the prodigy, the, the next one, the chosen one of Ferrari. We know this. Everybody knows this. Even Carlos Sainz knows this, and that probably spurs him on to do better. But at the end of the day, Sainz was doing better. He was, mm. he was quicker at that point. He was on the faster tyres, and Charles was in the damaged car. I do think the other problem that Ferrari had as well is that they sh- what they should have done was is what Mercedes have done a lot. Got the second driver to back the field up under the safety car, get as far back as possible, and then give them the best chance to do a double stack. I don't think they should have changed his wing because he was still pretty quick without it. But if they gave Leclerc soft tyres, he could have easily finished that race in second. He could have even won it. Hmm. But because of them just choosing to keep him out there on old worn out tyres with a damaged front wing, he was just a sitting duck. 
So Ferrari's team orders at times are absolutely baffling. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and what you said as well about, uh, you know, putting Leclerc on the soft tires, they didn't do that. And it really confused a lot of people. Why put um, science on the soft tires? Why couldn't they have done both? And there's some people who've even suggested that if they had done it the way that you suggested with, you know, one car backing the other up so they have enough of a space to do a stack, um, that they would have at least had both cars on the podium too. So um, no matter what order it was going to be, so it could have been overall a better result. So again, this goes back to this um, thing that I've talked about a lot on this show and uh, Tom Horrocks as well on, on Grid Talk mentioned this term that I'm obsessed with is the operational sharpness of Ferrari is just not the same as your Red Bulls and your Mercedes and that's why they win championships. Uh, so regularly and whatnot in this in this new era. So um, they kind of got caught with their pants down at the end, and it was quite funny. Um, it has become a bit of a meme, the Bonotto wagging his finger at Leclerc, no doubt, telling him not to um, say anything or badmouth Ferrari to the media, as I'm sure, you know, in that moment, Leclerc would be so disappointed and frustrated with the team for what had happened on the day. Um Going back to kind of the middle part of the race, we had Hamilton briefly lead after both the Ferraris had pitted, um, which would have been great for the crowd. But then he was let down by a slow pit stop and that put him behind both the Ferraris. So again, like talking hypotheticals and stuff, if if that pit stop was, uh, you know, A-OK and everything, would we have seen him more closer in that part of the race and challenging them? I mean, if, and on one hand, you've got a squabbling pair of Ferraris, you've got a quick Mercedes. I mean, that could have also, that could have potentially been the defining moment of the race if um, that pit stop had gone the right way. It could have been, yeah. I mean... Mercedes, people were saying how Mercedes uh, were going to be good around Silverstone this weekend, and they absolutely were. They were brilliant, you know, especially in the race. Hamilton was absolutely on it. He's just got a knack around that track. I mean, like you said, he's won there eight times. I think that was his 13th podium out of how many attempts is that? Uh, 16? <laughs> three times he's not. A, that is an incredible. I knew the 13 um, podiums thing, but out of 16 races, that's such a good percentage. It's just ridiculous. He's so good around Silverstone, and I mean, I don't know. He could he could have won, you know. But I think the biggest thing for Mercedes, and it kind of highlighted it when he overtook Le, uh, Leclerc and um, and Perez late on. He just got repassed straight away. I don't think they quite had the straight line speed, but hmm. on you know in clean air, you know, he was he was up there with the Ferraris, you know, yeah. while they were squ- while Leclerc and uh, Sainz were squabbling. You know, he almost had a had a pit stop on them. So you never know. He could have done it. And if Mercedes keep this rate of development up, you know, they're going to get a win at point, some point this season. They're not going to challenge for the championship. They're too far back. But, you know, if Ferrari keep making mistakes like they keep doing, they could get second in the Constructors' Championship. It's it's entirely possible. Yeah, and who would have said that at the start of the year? But um, I'm hoping that my uh, prediction of Hamilton getting at least one win this year will uh, come to light. And also it means he gets to keep up his record of having had a win in every season he's contested so far in Formula One. So that will be quite interesting to look forward to. So we've mentioned a safety car um, quite a bit already. So it was lap 40 that we had the safety car come out because Esteban Ocon had a failure on the old pit straight. I'm not too sure what quite happened to his Alpine. Um, have you got I think, any... it was a, I think it was a gearbox in the end. Gearbox in the end. So around. yeah, bit of a bit of a disappointing end for Ocon, really, because Alpine they've really had some good pace lately, and you know they've been scoring points. And when you look at their midfield rivals in McLaren and the way that their trajectory is going at the moment, basically racing with one hand tied behind their back at the moment, a McLaren. So for Alpine to lose a car like that, you know, would have been disappointing given that they could have taken some more points out of them at the end. Um, we saw a number of drivers come in at this point to put on the soft tyre as well. They were able to do that. We had the instruction, as you said, from Ferrari to signs that to give 10 car lengths to Leclerc. He said, no way, Jose. Um, <laughs> and with the grippier soft tyres at the end, he was able to pounce and get ahead. And that pretty much left Leclerc uh, exposed to the likes of Hamilton and also Perez at this point 
we haven't mentioned Perez, but he was at the back of the field after those opening laps, having to change his front wing and everything. And basically that middle stint that he did uh, was able to get his way back into the top 10. And then the safety car comes out at the right time. So he gets a free pit stop to put on the soft tires and then be in a competitive position to challenge for the podium at the end. Yeah, Perez had a hell of a race. I I love Checo. I, he's he's such a good driver. Like he might not be the fastest outright in terms of pace, but he can just eke everything out of them tires. I love watching him. I I, I think he's fantastic, and I'm so happy that he had such a great result because it was looking like being a really dismal day for him. You know, he was just before the safety car came out. It was looking like oh, you know, he's done really well, but he's quite slow. He's been caught by the McLaren and the Alpine, but it came out at the right time for him, and he got a second place, which is. You know, he's effectively done last to second there in, in a race, which is so impressive by anybody's standards. Um, and yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned McLaren as well. I'm a diehard McLaren fan. I'm a I'm a big Daniel Ricciardo fan as well. And I've said it multiple times on Grid Talk. It's just not working out. We've not mentioned Daniel, but what was he 13th in a 14 car race by the end of it mm. without any reason for that? I don't know any reason why he was that far down. It was an absolutely dismal weekend for him. And McLaren, again, I've used that exact phrase, they are fighting this fourth place battle with one on time behind their back. They're fighting it with just Lando and Alpine. Um, Alpine, obviously, they're doing quite well. On current form, they're going to get fourth in the Constructors' Championship, especially with how well uh, Fernando's doing now. Alonso's really on it. He had a great result of the weekend. He was helped by a poor pit stop by McLaren. That cost Lando a, mm. a place. Well, I'll say poor pit stop. A bad timing of the pit stop. They left it a lap too late under the safety yeah. car, so he lost a place there. But yeah, if Alpine keep getting double scores, if their car remains reliable, they're going to get fourth in the constructors. Because right now, Dan is not the man. I'm afraid, not at all. And with um with Lando, so did he before the safety car? Did he pit just before then as well? for that second or like his first stop of the race and then pitted during the safety car for the soft tire. Cause he was, he had track position over Fernando um, in that part of the race, I believe. He did, he did. So what, so what happened was that when the safety car got thrown, Alpine brought Alonso straight in mm. and the McLaren didn't do the same because they had a little bit less time to react probably, but still it's a little error from them. So they, they pitted Lando the, the lap after but obviously Lando had some running behind the safety car, so he was slower than the guys who were in free air. So uh, Fernando jumped him doing that. Um, just a little error from McLaren that cost him a place there because before that, uh, uh, Norris was was ahead of Alonso. He was, but he did get to finish where he started, ultimately in sixth, And but yeah, losing out to the Alpine, who they've been fighting uh, all season as well. And scary thing too, like... In the early races, when we saw this incredible pace from Alonso or flashes of this incredible pace, um, but then it didn't quite work out, you know, and of course, everyone, we talk about how he could have got pole position in Australia, how that would have worked out for him in the race and everything. Um, it's it's scary to think the about the points that Alpine have lost so far this season as well. They could already be in fourth and, and quite a while ahead of McLaren too at this stage, but um We've had such a great battle set up because of these leading drivers switching over to the soft tyres at the end there. Leclerc on his old tyres was able to fight with them, but he was rather exposed, you've got to say. Um, But yeah, five cars at the end of the race, you know, and this is just a testament to these new cars. I mean, you know, I say it all the time that I'm not a fan of the street tracks the new street races that we formula one seems to go to and seems to think is the future and all that put these new aero uh, ground effect aero cars on a track like silverstone with those fast corners and long straights as well and they're going to give you good racing and we saw that yeah yeah no i'm with you i'm with you on this one 100 like this is the first truly high speed corner track of the season there's not that many of them but yeah, having having these cars there because of the ground effect and everything, they are just rapid round these round these corners, and it was amazing to see. You know, the lap times were not that far off of of last year's, and that's with cars that should be about two or three seconds a lap slower. So that just shows a how much progress they've made already, and b 
how bloody quick those things are around the corners. It's amazing to see. I love it. And yeah, like you said, the fact they can follow quickly is uh, closer as well. I mean, we had a five car battle for second place or whatever it was in the closing stages. It was brilliant. It was it was the stuff we see in the F1 game, you know, yeah. and, but it was in real life. It, it was a fantastic to see. A great advert for Formula 1 as, and as well the Silverstone crowd. 400,000 people over the weekend. It's just mind-boggling. Yeah, and like, you know, it just seems to be the hottest ticket at the moment going to a Grand Prix and especially one like Silverstone if it puts on this sort of racing year in, year out now with these new era cars, then who wouldn't want to be there? And I don't know if they just um, turn up the effects or whatever during uh, certain weekends for the crowd and whatnot, but like watching the race on TV at home, especially when Hamilton had that overtake on both Leclerc and Perez going into the final corner, he just kind of snuck his way around both of them when they went wide. Huh. Um, you just heard this roar through the TV and like, I don't care if it was, you know, artificially turned up, but to me, that's just like, that's Coliseum stuff right there. That's incredible. <laughs> I was really like, what, one or two o'clock in the morning here needing to go to sleep. But then it was just like, oh, that's energized me. This is great. You know, and we got to see them duke it out for those last laps. Um, and yeah, Checo ends up P2. Hamilton with his 13th podium, plus the fastest lap as well. And Leclerc, the big loser in P4. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, from actually being there, I can tell you, I can confirm that noise was not artificially turned up. <laughs> there, there, were, there were two points when the uh, when the crowd went extremely loud, obviously when Grand Ujo, uh was, was declared all right. And the other one was that pass on Hamilton. I mean, and in the press centre as well. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I generally thought people might be quite like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll be, we'll be in neutral here and all that. No, that went completely out the window when, when Hamilton did that double pass. Everybody was up. It was like people were like bear-hugging each other. Mm. We were all clapping. It was all like, yes, get in. And then he got repassed twice. And the mood just <laughs> completely went on its head. It was just like, oh, for God's yeah. sake, no. You know, it, it was such a roller coaster of emotions. I love being a part of that. It's so good. I think, you know, just fans of, you know, neutral fans of racing in general would just have enjoyed that spectacle. So that pretty much rounded out uh, those positions, of course, uh, Alonso ahead of Lando. Mentioned earlier that Max came home to finish seventh and seventh is still seventh. You know, he scored points. You questioned a little bit his driving standards battling with Mick Schumacher in the final laps. And yes, I did say he was mm. battling Mick Schumacher because Mick Schumacher scored his first points in F1. And that's after yes. qualifying in 19th too. So I remember being on Grid Talk on, on Saturday after qualifying saying, yeah, there's no chance he's getting any points. He's going to be there with <laughs> Stroll and Aston Martin just making up the numbers and everything and be lucky not to... to crash out the race but Mick scored his first points finally and not only that it was double points for Haas which is what the first time since like 2018 or something they've done that too with Kevin Magnussen oh finishing in 10th wow. but great great result for those guys yeah fantastic for Haas you know you're kind of fearing that they were going to be dragged down to the bottom again and all this and that and it's you know even even Aston Martin have passed them somehow but yeah great for them they they didn't really show any pace whatsoever before the race, but, you know, they kept the cars in there, they kept the noses clean, and they did very well. And it could have been easily better for them, like you said. Uh, Mick Schumacher definitely could have got past, uh, definitely could have got past uh, Max Verstappen and uh, K-Mag as well coming home in 10 solid points there. You know, it, it's fantastic for them. I really liked it. And, you know, I saw, I saw Gunther Steiner before the race. I saw him on the pit wall, and he didn't look very happy. He was just... They're like, oh my god, you're gonna have to go through this again. This is not gonna be fun. <laughs> and then I saw him in the paddock after the race when I was leaving, and he had such a big smile on his face. And I was just thought, that's that's what I like to see. I I'm glad he's happy. He looked he looked like a completely different person. It was great. So hopefully this is the kind of boost they need to to get up the standings because they're not far off Alpha Tauri. They could they could get into seventh quite easily. Yeah, it's looking quite tight between those guys at the back of the field at the moment. And um, what I was going to say is he probably was walking around saying, we look like a bunch of rock stars now. And um, Gene Haas, would <laughs> I think Gene Haas was there over the weekend too. So good to put on a show in front of the big boss as well um, in terms of that. So uh, yeah, and then we had Sebastian Vettel sneaking into the points as well finishing in ninth so at least a decent showing for um aston martin on home soil i 
say a lot about Aston Martin as as everyone does um, at the moment. So not much else to say this time. It is pretty miserable that they qualified right at the back of the grid, you know, and the British racing green, um, Aston Martin, one of the most prominent uh, British brands in the automotive industry, just iconic British brand in general. And they're flailing around at the back of the grid, making no sense at the moment. So I don't know like what, what the feeling is about them from, from your end and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough one with Aston. I think at the end of the day, they've not, they've not developed the car properly. Uh, well, they've not designed the car properly, developed it a little bit since then. It's, It's getting better slowly. They're picking up points on a semi-regular basis, to be fair. So even Lance Stroll's getting in points every now and again. It's not that bad of a car, but because of how competitive the field is, it's tough for them to score regularly. And when they do score regularly, it's quite, you know, it's likely that guys around them that will also score regularly. So that's how competitive it is this season. I mean, the team in ninth place, Aston Martin, have like 20-odd points. I mean, you think back to literally last season, we had Haas, Williams, and uh, Alfa Romeo, and they were barely scoring anything for mm. most of the season. You know, you look at it now, and like Williams with three points, last year that would be enough for eighth. Now they're rock bottom by some distance as well. So the field has got a lot more competitive. It's closed up a lot, but the adverse effect of that is that you need to be scoring very regular points to make any kind of ground. Pretty much so. And what you just mentioned earlier about them being close to Alpha Tauri in the constructors, I had to actually go and check the standings there. And I'm like, wow, that's um, not a lot of distance between them. It's actually, what, nine points covering seventh to ninth at the moment. And we'll talk about Alpha Tauri then in that instance. So not a great race for them again. It's probably the, you know, the one-liner you could say about their whole season so far. Um, we saw both their cars at one point actually have a spin together, which was quite funny. Like, you know, when you, you see synchronized spinning um, with two different cars, but to see two cars from the same team do that was was rather funny. Yuki Tsunoda blowing up on the radio, but he ended up copping a five-second time penalty uh, for making contact with his teammate. And then Gasly having a DNF... Um, as well so yeah can given that this is a team that you know everyone say are like you know they're, they're the silent achievers you know they're going to make that leap and potentially with these new regulations they could have uh made that leap and also now gasly having committed to them for another season i mean what's your thoughts on on alpha tauri and has gasly kind of you know got himself stuck there for another year was he able to go elsewhere um did he have no choice i mean it's an interesting discussion this one yeah i mean we don't know what happens behind closed doors but i was i was shocked to see gasly commit to uh alpha tari so early i i thought that he would go to mclaren i thought he would replace danny ricardo to be honest with you i was pretty convinced of that um i thought i thought really early on before the season started i thought maybe he'll go to alpine but the more i thought about it i just thought well for that to happen, you'd have to have uh, Ocon leave because Gasly and Ocon famously do not get on. Mm. I don't know why, but they've always had a really nasty rivalry, those two. So you'd need, you'd need uh, Ocon to leave. And I just didn't see Ocon leaving. I think he is the future of that team. They've made that pretty clear with the uh, with the very long contract they've given him. Um, but yeah, AlphaTauri, they, they, they are the silent achievers, like you say. I mean, they got a win a couple seasons ago. They used to get... Put, they got a few podiums last year as well. So they, they do get some good results. And... You know, I like I like to see them do well because there's the, they always say, "Oh, there's the 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 DNA of the Minardi still flowing through that car." But with how they've been recently, it, it's looking more like a Minardi than, yeah. than a Red Bull Junior. Unfortunately, I mean, it's it's just it, I mean, I've defended Snowder a lot. He's done a lot better this season on the whole for sure. But his last two races have been dismal. He crashed out in the pit lane, um, pit lane exit in Canada, and then he caught. I mean, in my mind, he cause that crash between him and Gasly he dived for a gap that you would try maybe with a rival but not your teammate because mm. it's always going to end up with somebody copping some damage and both of them did so uh, it's it, it's it's bad they're under pressure they're absolutely under pressure Helmut Marko will be uh will, will be on those two <laughs> unfortunately yeah, well, I, I do I do feel for them 
that's it. And like, you know, you're saying Helmet Marco will be onto them. It's like, well, Helmet, their, their response could be, well, Mr. Marco, who are you going to bring in to replace us? Because it doesn't look like you've got a lot of uh, options there. But we'll <laughs> touch on that a bit later anyway. Uh, yeah. We'll round out this one. So Williams, of course, another iconic British team, not having the greatest day either. I mean, it was a highlight for the weekend to see Nicholas Latifi get his first ever Q3 and F1 um, in P10. And didn't really talk about qualifying much, but it was a wet qualifying. And for, for someone like Latifi, who's been under so much pressure, I'm guilty as charged as being one of those people who said, yeah, you know, um, that's his time done. Um, and trying to get behind the idea that they would replace him actually at this weekend, at this race at Silverstone, thought they would bring in Oscar Piastri. Um, but for him to go put in a performance like that kind of, you know, reminds you of the performances we saw from him last year where he was able to score points. But is it enough to save his career, George? Um, he didn't finish in the points during the race. Um, but is that Q3 appearance, that drive in qualifying in the wet enough to save Latifi? No. Um, <laughs> uh, not 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 by itself. No, I mean, you know what? I, I've been one of the biggest critics in Latifi. In the past, I've defended him, knowing because I thought, you know, he's young, he's inexperienced, he's nowhere near as good as George Russell. We know that, but you know, he's he's bringing the car on pretty consistently, and that's all you can ask from a from a young driver. But this season, he's not been doing that. He's been absolutely miles off of Alex Albon in a team that it's his third season there in that team, you, you know, he should be claiming ownership. He should be trying to be a team leader, but he's an absolute follower in that, in that regard. He's been, he's been awful this season. However, around Silverstone in the wet, the circumstance that I just did not think would favor him at all. He was excellent. He took his chance. He set some brilliant laps when the, when the track was drier, not dry by any means, but drier in Q2, got a few to Q3. Williams, first Q3 appearance of the season his first Q3 appearance in his career. So to do that, fair play. And he ran in the points for a good amount of the race. It was only the last 10 or 20 laps where he dropped out, which is just a, I think that's just a, you know, unfortunately that's a simple, uh, that's the pace of the car really showing itself. Um, but no, I mean, he needs to, he can save his career. He has to do more performances like this, but obviously waiting in the wings, we do have Oscar Piastri. We also have a Williams development driver in Logan Sargent, who also had an excellent weekend this weekend. Um, and he's American as well, so he's going to bring a lot of uh, an interest around him. I actually asked him in the press conference after the F2 if he's if he's eyeing up that seat for, for the next year. And he basically said, I'm just keeping my head down and doing mm. my best. And I thought, mm, okay, the way you're looking kind of suggests that you're eyeing it up. All right. I'll, he's, I'll he's, hung, he's hungry. He is um, for that. And then uh, rounding it out as we touched on before we had Daniel Ricciardo um just a sad sad race finishing in 13th um and I've got here that he had four trips to the pit stop uh he had four trips to the pits as well so that might explain why he had such a miserable race but he's just got no race pace like he's got no race pace George this is this thing that I can't get my head around is that you know, we see Lando be able to put in some consistent times, you know, top 10 times during the race. But Ricardo just, ha- like, he used to be, one of his trademarks used to be how good he could race on Sundays. We saw those awesome overtakes, the dive bombs, you know, last of the late breakers and everything. But this is just, this is horrible. Yeah, it's painful to watch. It really, It really is. I mean, yeah, he's gone to the pits four times, like you said. I didn't realize that, but I, I don't know of any reason why he did that. And if it was, it was probably self-inflicted with some damage, perhaps, or something like that. You know, to finish 13th in a 14-car race, the only guy behind you being Sonoda, who spun out and hit his teammate and had a pretty and, dismal weekend. And the penalty, a five-second penalty as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a team that has been performing extremely well in recent seasons. It's a driver who, remember in twenty fourteen, he went to, he went to Red Bull. He beat Sebastian Vettel fair and square. He wiped the floor with him in his fourth season in Formula One. I think, yeah, fourth season in Formula One. He beat a four time world champion. The guy who won the championship four times before that. He was the boy wonder. He's like, this guy is the next talent. Forget Hamilton, you know. This mm. this guy, in a few years, he's going to be the guy that's winning everything. And he's just fell off a cliff. He, 
I don't know if it's his confidence. I don't know if it's the car. I don't know what it is, but it's just not working. And I actually saw Daniel in the paddock after, I think it was before qualifying. I think it was, yeah, it was after qualifying, something like that. I saw him in the paddock. He just, he just doesn't seem. I, I don't. I've never met him before that, but he didn't seem like the kind of Ricardo I imagined him to be. Mm. He's not. He's not got a spring in his step. He's just, he's just sort of meandering around and, and just, just doing enough to. Well, not in my mind, not doing enough, but in his mind, probably doing enough to stick around. It's, it's really, really sad to see. I, I, I don't know how he's going to solve it. Yeah, that's the question that we're all asking um, of ourselves. And, you know, like you, I'm a big fan, um, big McLaren fan as well. So, you know, it is from a team fan perspective, it is hard to see, you know, um, you know, them fighting with one hand tied behind their back and Lando only bringing in those performances. But, you know, you would have thought around a track like Silverstone, which, you know, Ricardo has been successful at in the past. And now we're heading to places like, you know, maybe not so much Austria and, and, and uh, France, but Hungary, then, you know, Spa, Monza, you know, races he's won in the past, we can say, um, yeah. whether they be for Red Bull or for McLaren. Um, yeah, you'd expect him to, to pull his socks up and perform better, especially after the mid-season break, because that's when silly season starts. And that's when, you know, people are going to have to start assessing their options for, for next year and whether they can get themselves a better deal. Do they cut their losses and say, look, you know, we can't go on another year like this where we risk losing points again, losing to our rivals. I mean, I said this at the end of last year. I'm like, the only reason McLaren lost third in the championship to Ferrari was Carlos Sainz was the difference in my opinion. If Carlos Sainz was still at McLaren last year, I feel like they would have um, had the consistency they needed to finished third but he took that consistency over to Ferrari Ricardo didn't pull his weight apart from the one win that and still one of the greatest wins I've ever seen at Monza and there's your difference and again this season we're seeing it like you look at Alpine both their drivers they still have their moments where they're not finishing races but they're being a lot more consistent as a duo than McLaren so far yeah that, that's the thing isn't it, it that's that's the difference. Ricardo's just he's just not making a difference. He's you think in his second season in McLaren he'd he'd have improved, but he's regressed. He's got worse. The gap between him and, and Norris is astounding. Norris is pulling off miracles in that car. I think he's outperforming the car quite frankly on a number of occasions. Ricardo's just underperforming. You know, it's 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 just it's just mind boggling. I I can't get my head around it. It's so frustrating, and he's probably going through the same thing as well. It's just not working for him for some reason. He might need to take a break. He might need to potentially retire or, or whatever, or, or go to another team because he's he's supremely talented. We know how mm. talented it is. You don't lose that kind of raw racing speed just because you're not performing. You know, form is temporary, class is permanent. Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo's class. We know this. Nobody will doubt that, but. Right now, his his form's just dire. Mm, pretty much. So we'll leave it at that anyway. Um, don't mean to keep bagging out the bloke because we both love him. But um, thoughts yeah. then on the championship itself so far this season. I mean, when we look at uh, the points and what we mentioned earlier that Leclerc ultimately only took three points off Max. You said it, kind of said it earlier that you know it's really Red Bull's title to lose this season. Yeah, it it is. I mean, they've got a big advantage. They've got both drivers first and second. There's a big, big gap between them, and the the both Ferraris are not that far behind uh, Sergio Perez. But you know, Ferrari have made some mistakes. They've had a lack of pace at times. They, you know, and the, and the, the unreliability has has really, really cost them a lot. Because before that, it was quite tight, you know, and it was quite it was quite a good battle between Leclerc and Verstappen. But we need to see. Leclerc beat Verstappen, or Sainz beat Verstappen for that matter, um, out on track, fair and square, no incidents, you know, just pure pace. We need to see that because we haven't seen that. Um, we haven't seen that arguably since the uh, the opening round of the season. Because yeah. in Australia, when Leclerc beat, uh, well, Leclerc won, sorry, Verstappen retired with mechanical failure. So we've not seen that since the opening round of the season. So Yeah, I think it was. Um... Yeah, both Bahrain and Saudi, we saw them being able to fight uh, wheel-to-wheel 
cut on track. So yeah, absolutely, they need to do something to improve. Otherwise, it's going to be a one a one bull race, I would say, not one horse race. Uh, <laughs> with with both the Red Bulls out front, and they've got a healthy lead in the constructors' championship too. Um, so that's the British Grand Prix weekend. Uh, we had quite a bit of news coming into the weekend um, about some unsavory oh acts as well. <laughs> Um, and I've voiced my uh, thoughts on this quite loudly uh, in an article I wrote and then I mentioned it on, on Grid Talk as well, kind of reluctantly at the end of the, the episode on Saturday. Um, just want your thoughts, George. Like, it's not, a, it's not a thing where you can say, oh, it's the old, old person or the old bloke in the house that's uh, got the archaic mindset, but... Yuri Vips as well, you know, young, uh, up-and-coming star in Formula 2. He was on Red Bull's books as a junior driver and potentially could have had an Alpha Tauri drive in the next year or two. But if even, you know, youngsters like that are still thinking it's okay to use that kind of language, what 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 what, what are we doing wrong? Like, what's gone wrong in society? And given the fact that, you know, you have... Sir Lewis Hamilton doing the work he's doing to try and raise awareness around these causes, not just raise awareness, but also get people to take action. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you absolutely summed it up well there. I mean, I, I, ne- I never feel, um, never feel tentative about mentioning an article like what you wrote, Jared, because I, I read it and it's excellent. You know, you got your points across very well. Uh, I don't think you could have um, done that any better. So Thank it's you. a great article. Go, go read. No, honestly, man. No, seriously, it was it was great. I really enjoyed reading that. You know, I think um, if you haven't, if you haven't checked that out yet, definitely go and do that. I can't remember the uh, the name of the website off the top of my head, unfortunately. But um, um, but yeah, no, it's 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 just it's just disgraceful. You know, when when I heard about it, I, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because I thought, well, maybe maybe. It's, you know, you shouldn't say words like that, of course, but you may think maybe perhaps it's kind of taken out of context. And I actually looked at it and I thought, no, it's not. He's just said, mm-hmm. he's just said that. And it's just indefensible. You know, people might say that uh, people from Eastern Europe are not as well educated in this, in, in other cultures and other races. And for the, for the most part, that is sadly true, just because their societies are not as multicultural as, as a lot of others around the world. However... You can't go doing that. And the other thing as well is that Yuri Vips, he is not he is not from a random village in Estonia and has lived there his entire life and has never met a black person. He is a racing driver that travels the world. It's not like he's in this bubble. Like he doesn't see people like that or interact with people like that. You know? So there's absolutely no excuse for doing that. On a live stream where people are watching, mm-hmm. it's just disgraceful. Red Bull have done the right thing to sack him. Uh, high tech have done the wrong thing to keep him, and I do like that Formula Two have said, "Look, we're surprised at this decision," you know, because I was surprised at it too. You know, that's his career ru- ruined because no sponsor is going to want to be associated with him after that. You know, you you don't want to be associated with a racist. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you mentioned too, he is traveling around the world and he's associated with the Red Bull Academy. And to me, you know. Uh, academy like Red Bull, no matter like what sport it is, they're not only going to be, you know, teaching you about, you know, racing and stuff. I thought they would be getting some kind of education into culture and, you know, like PR wise as well, what to do, what not to do kind of thing. And that's definitely on the list of things not to do. Like I know well when doing live streaming or, you know, playing playing games online and stuff like that or, you know, doing podcasts, you know, what kind of language I can use, what kind of language I can't use, you know, and, you know, for the most part, haven't done a lot of swearing in general on, online because you don't know if someone's going to be offended by that. But the fact that, you know, he feels that felt that it was okay to just drop that word like he did or whatever, like he's in some kind of, um, you know, I, I don't even want to go there, but just, it's just culturally inappropriate. And then for, for PK as well, Nelson PK, three-time world champion. Um, yeah. The fact that, you know, after that other, that interview from last year, there was another interview that was brought up from, from 2016 where he was talking about, um, uh, the championship with Rosberg and Hamilton as well was like, well, that wasn't, it proves to you that wasn't the, the one-off occasion. So, but anyway, like, you know, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, George. Um, the article George is talking about, I wrote for the Raw as always. So um, 
check that out through my link tree and everything. And yeah, you know, we hope that moving forwards, this is something that, you know, people change. We can change this mindset in people, um, you know, no matter what age they are, wherever they are in the world, because it is horrible and um, yeah, very offensive. So looking ahead then this weekend, another doubleheader, we've got the Austrian Grand Prix. It'll feature the sprint for the first time as well in 2022. So first of three sprints that we're going to have. I think it's it's not in Monza again, is it, George? I can't remember where the other two sprints are. It's, it's the second one. We had one in Imola earlier. In the oh, US. we did. This is, there we go. This is, this, is, this, is, this is sprint two, electric boogaloo. So yeah. All right. Well, that makes more sense then. Sorry. I just like, have we had a sprint this year? And that's the thing, like Imola feels like such a long time ago to me now. Uh, we're so far into the season, you know, it's such a long season. Um, and I think we'll be all excited by the fact what we saw in Silverstone with, with three teams fighting for the win, potentially we might have that, but with an added uh, sprint race to come as well on the Saturday uh, at, at the Red Bull ring. And you look at the record there for the home team, which is Red Bull and, and Max Verstappen arguably, arguably with another home race with the Orange Army going to be out there in full force. He's won at the Red Bull ring four out of the last six times, which includes the wow. double headers that we did for the last two years, uh, the Styrian Grand Prix. So he won... Um, there, I think at the last last year's Styrian Grand Prix, where he did the back to back, so he's got form around there. We know um, Hamilton's won there before, but it's traditionally not a great track for Mercedes. They have a lot of cooling issues, but who knows how that's going to be? McLaren have done well in Austria as well, so this this could be like watching a Moto GP race almost with all the cars so close to each other. I hope so, yeah, I hope so, definitely. It's, it's got a potential for it at the end of the day. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of high-speed corners in Silverstone. We have a lot of slow-speed corners at, at Austria. About half the track is slow, half the track is quite fast. So I feel I feel like we've got, we're in for some close racing because we've got three DRS zones, all back-to-back, continuous straight. So passing won't be a problem around here. And like you said, Max Verstappen, he's excellent around here. Four out of the last six times, that is a hell of a record. And the back-to-backs we did last year as well, you know, it really really extended his championship lead. And I can see him doing it again, to be honest with you. But Leclerc's pretty good round here. He could have won quite easily in 2019, I want to say. They had a really mm, good battle, him and uh, him and Max, for that. So there's definitely potential there for a, for a good race. And also, yeah, last lap Lando. I remember seeing that, the, the podium <laughs> that he got there in 2020. So, you know, it, they, they all, a lot of the drivers have some good memories around here. Yeah, and it's such a great track. I mean, I'm so happy to be going back to these traditional circuits after having, you know, what seemed seemed like the street circuit championship earlier in the season, you know, having them all kind of lined up uh, with each other. Not that, you know, I dislike Montreal or, or Baku either. Like, I love Montreal. Baku, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um, but, you know, seeing the, seeing the racing that we saw at Silverstone over the weekend really um, excited me. And, yeah, to have uh, Austria, then, and then we're going to Paul Ricard, Hungary, and then, yeah, mid-season break already. And then after that, you've got Spa, Zandvoort, Monza. You know, it, it just gets better in my eye. But, um, yeah, that's, that's exciting um, as well for... Uh, V8 Supercars fans this weekend. Supercars, we've got uh, the Townsville 500 on, so I will be recapping that next week on the show, uh, which will be exciting to see. I'll just be envious of the the good weather that's going on in the north of Australia at the moment rather than the cold, miserable weather that we've got down here. <laughs> Quite similar to what you're saying, George, about what's going on there <laughs> in the UK. Even though it's your summer, I don't get that. It's England, mate. It's you, 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 you can get you can get bad weather any time of year. It, actually, you know, to be fair, it's, it's kind of warm. It's 16 degrees here at night, which is not bad for us. But yeah, it's been a bit grey yeah. and miserable today. There Just continue go. the weather from Silverstone. There you go. So yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, that kind of ramp, uh, ramps, wraps up this one. Um, before we go, if you want to plug anything, George, go for it. Um, yeah, yeah. So obviously, I'm a member of a Grid Talk podcast. We do uh, we do race reviews, we do qualifying reviews, we'll do a sprint review. Obviously, this weekend as well, we preview things. We we have a fireside side series as well, where we interview people from the world of motorsport and give our opinions on uh, topics that don't get covered very often. Tom Horrocks normally hosts that; he does an excellent job with that. 
Um, obviously, it's hosted by the F1 Chronicles, so go check out the articles on there. Quite a few from the British Grand Prix weekend myself, so that's f1chronicle.com. And uh, yeah, I'm the I'm the guy also behind SpotlightPro.com, but we're going through a little redesign at the moment. So when that's all confirmed and everything, we'll uh, we'll bring you more news on that. But yeah, those are my outlets. Uh, most people have probably plug social media, but I, I really scale that back now. I don't really do that so much these days. But yeah, no, thank you for having me on, Jared. It's been it's been some been a great conversation today about a amazing weekend in Formula One. I'm really happy that you were able to come on and that we were able to make it line up with the British Grand Prix. So um, it all worked out in the end. Thank you again, George. Um, Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Uh, Remember, you can find all my links in the description for every show. And I always do plug F1 Chronicle and and Grid Talk as well. So that's where George says you can primarily find um, his work as well. So please go check him out. Great, great content as always for them. And then, of course, you can find my links as well to the podcast and my articles on The Raw. So until next week, until we wrap up Austria and Townsville, thank you very much for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time.